Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? You know, uh, something occurred to me uh, during worship this morning, and that is the fact that worship is by far my favorite activity on the planet. My favorite activity. Of all things that I could find myself doing, worship tops the list, and nothing else is even close. I love to gather with family. I love to eat food, not to the point of gluttony. I love golf. I play golf. I love hiking. Uh, we've taken up bike riding. I like kayaking. I like working. The, end of th- the list of things that I like to do is endless. I like to preach. I like to read my word. I love reading my word. The, my favorite activity by far and it's not even close, is worship. It's worship. It's engaging God in this thing called worship. It's understanding, just being in a place of allowing the revelation of God to come and to fill my soul and to give him glory for, what he, who, for who he is and what he's done and everything else in between. Yeah. It is just exhilarating. <sighs> I don't know. Does anybody like worship? Come on, let me hear you. Yeah, I I love worship. So listen, when we get to heaven, if you're looking for me for the first 10,000 times 10,000 years, go right to where the chaos is in the throne room of the worship, and that's where I'll be. You know, the reason why I have to stop worshiping is because the music ends, or, you know, and we can't keep worshiping because we tire out the musicians. But my physical body gets tired too. I can only jump and dance for so long. But you know what? When we get to heaven, we're going to have glorified bodies and we're not going to get tired. The musicians won't get tired. The music will go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and it will never end. And I will worship God because my body will be able to jump and dance and swing and sing and go till all time ends, which it would never end. It's just going to go forever. Oh, man. I, I'm a little excited about this. I mean, your, your excitement level down there is kind of, it's kind of secondary. You've got to get excited about worship. I'm not trying to amp you up. I'm trying to amp you up. I don't know what I'm trying to do. We sang that song, uh, and I just want to mention it because I know that some people don't like it or have a hard time with it. Uh, the line, it says... Uh, Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. But if you understand the context of why the guy wrote that line in the song, it makes a lot more sense and it becomes something that we can embrace rather than disdain. And so the man who wrote that line is a musician and he had a young daughter. And when he would come home from work, his daughter would, you know, who might have been playing out in the yard or whatever, just had cookies and snacks and her face is all a mess. I mean, imagine you know, three-year-old with cookies all over their face and mud on their hands. And she just comes running right over and she just gives her dad, when he comes home from work, the biggest, sloppiest, wet kiss with cookies and mud. And he loves it. And nobody cares. The father didn't care that she had cookie on her face or mud on her hands. And the daughter had absolutely no inhibition to the fact that she had cookie on her face or mud on her hands. There's just this sloppy, wet kiss. It's just unrestrained love. Amen.
Amen. So the next time you sing that song, just think, God loves you no matter what, even if there's cookie on your face. God loves you even if there's mud on your hands. He loves us even while we are enemies of the cross, even while we are his enemy, even while we're shouting and chanting for his death, he loves us unconditionally. It's glorious. It's glorious. Zach, today is your day. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for healing right now. As we were worshiping, the Lord just spoke. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for healing in this body. God, we curse diabetes. We command it to go in Jesus' name. We speak to this pancreas and we say work in Jesus' name. Function properly. Function wholly in Jesus' name. God, bring healing to this body in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I get a couple of the prayer team? Can I get Jerry and, and Pastor Steve? Can I get you to just come and lay hands on him and pray for him for, him for a couple minutes? <clears throat> you can stand or you can sit, whatever you guys want to do. I want you to just continue to pray for him. Glory to God. Glory to God. I just want to, uh, I just want to thank everyone who helped to serve last week. Last week was Back to Church Sunday for all of those who, who served and helped put, to put all of that on. Thank you so much. We appreciate everything that you do. We appreciate the fact that you guys helped to make this event possible. Special thanks to Pastor Stacy for planning and organizing and coordinating that entire event. Amen? Amen. We're in the beginning of our Love Does series. We kicked this off last week, and we're going to continue this week. And today I want to talk to you about what does love look like? Last week we read the scripture and the command that Jesus gives, and Jesus gave us a command that said, Love one another the way that I have loved you. And so he gives us this context. He gives us this parameters within which we must operate when we choose to love others. And there's a lot that the Bible has to say about love. And there's a lot of instruction on love. So we are really not left wondering what love looks like. We just have to dig a little deeper and we have to find it. We have to search it out. Well, let's look this morning at 1 Corinthians 13. I want to start there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the love chapter. Paul's talking about gifts in chapter 12, and he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way that he's speaking of is love. And so in verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. So what's the writer saying here? He's saying that if we don't love, if we don't do what we do out of love, then it doesn't matter at all. He's saying that love is the most important thing. Is faith important? Faith is vital. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But love is more important than faith. Speak. 
if I speak, it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter how polished your words are. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what's coming out of your mouth. If you do not love, it's just noise. It's just noise. You can prophesy. You can preach, pray, and prophesy. You could understand every single thing that's found in the Word. You can have knowledge of how everything works. You can understand every hidden thing, words of knowledge, impartation. You could have faith so that you pray and the mountains do and obey you. But if you don't have love, and if you don't do it from an attitude and a heart of love, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Nothing. Now, listen, I have yet to meet one person who can pray and say, mountain be cast into the sea and have it happen. I haven't met anybody. But if I were to meet that person, if they didn't love, it means nothing. I should hold them in no regard. Because God doesn't think highly of them at all. The Bible tells us that God doesn't judge the way that man judges. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel that man looks upon the outward appearance, but that God looks at the heart. God looks at how we love. God's always interested in how we are treating others. God's always interested in whether or not we're actually doing the work of love. We can do the doing, and many times we find ourselves doing the doing, but if we're doing the doing from the wrong attitude that this is, just my, this is just my job, this is just my responsibility, this is just what I have to do, we'll fall short every single time. But when we take and understand what God has created us to do, and we add love to it, We'll see in a minute, we'll never fail. We will never fail. We will never fail. The greatest power in the universe is love. And I said this before last week, and I'll say it again. If you want to move in the power of God, you have to move from a place of love. It has to be motivated through a place of compassion. If you want to move in miracle signs and wonders and healings and these things, it's done through compassion. You'll have much greater results when, it's, when you're moving through compassion, when you're, you're moving through a heart of love than any other motivating factor. Where am I? And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be, to be burned, we could give every single thing that we have away. We could sacrifice ourselves for God, but if we're not doing it out of love, the word tells us it profits us nothing. Listen, don't do this stuff out of religious obligation. You can do it out of obedience, but you have to understand and you have to mix in love. We do all of these things out of love. Why do we do this? What's the motivating factor? It's love. God loved me and now I love others. Do we love? What does love look like? Love should be the motivating factor in every single thing that you do, whether it's something that you're doing at work, whether it's something that you're doing with your family, if it's recreation, whether it's church, whether it's outreach, whatever your hand finds to do, 
Do it with love. Do it in love. Verse 4. Now, many of you may have heard this portion of text many, many times. It's very commonly read at weddings. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. So here we have a definition of love. What does love look like? This is what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not selfish. Francis Chan in his book, um, Crazy Love, has an awesome uh, little, little thing, and I've probably shared it before, but I'll share it again. This is our love scorecard. And so we can take this portion of scripture right here, and wherever it says love, we just substitute our, our name. And then we can say, is that true about me? Right? So I did this with my kids one time. We were on vacation. We were sitting around the table, and I had read this in the book, and so I shared it with all of them, and I pull out my Bible, and I start going through the list, and I'm like, so love suffers long. The other word there, if you read NIV, it's patient. I, I like it. Some people say, like, love uh, suffers long and patient. They're not the same. But I think that understanding suffers, suffers long when we're thinking about patience gives us a good um, boundary for patience. You're going to suffer when you have patience, right? When we were, when we were newly saved Christians, somebody, somebody said, you know, don't ever pray for patience because there's only one way to get that. Your patience has to be tried in order for you to get more patience. You, you're going to suffer long if you want to have patience, because the whole idea behind patience is that you're able to put up with things that are unpleasant. <sighs> oh, the quandary. We want to be patient, but we don't want to go through the process to make us patient. <laughs> so if we were to substitute our name, is this true? Matthew, and so I did this around the table. Matthew is patient. I'm fairly patient. Matthew is kind. Matthew does not envy. Matthew does not parade itself, does not boast is what the NIV says, I believe. Matthew is not puffed up. Matthew does not behave rudely. Matthew does not seek its own. Matthew is not provoked. Matthew thinks no evil. Matthew does not rejoice in iniquity. Matthew rejoices in the truth. Matthew bears all things. Matthew believes all things. Matthew hopes all things. Matthew endures all things. And the very next line, verse 8, says, love never fails. Matthew never fails. To which my children responded, well, you could take boasting off of your list. <laughs> Thank you, children. I wasn't going to give it away. Patience. Are we patient? 
Are we patient? Patience is a sign of love. It's evidence of love in your life. It's evidence that you're loving towards others. Listen, everybody's not going to think the way that you think. Everybody's not going to act the way that you act. There are going to be people that offend you, that try you, that uh, rub you the wrong way. Are you patient with those individuals? If you're not patient, you're not being loving. How patient do I have to be? I don't know. How patient was Jesus? My mom used to say of my dad that he wasn't, he missed, he was, he was not there the day that they handed out patience in heaven. She said this my whole life growing up as a child. I later discovered that patience is a fruit of the Spirit and that we get patience by dwelling with God and by God dwelling with us and us being in the presence of God and we ask God for patience and he gives it to us. Because the Bible says that if we lack anything, we can ask of God who gives liberally to all without, um, without division from one to the other. He'll give it to you if you ask. Ask for patience. You don't have patience? Just ask. God will give it to you. He wants you to be patient. Love is kind. Are we kind? Are we kind to one another? There's this new thing. You'll see signs, little billboards, uh, little lawn signs. They say, be kind, practice kindness. It's, it's all over. Yes, yes. Be kind. It's not just a new contemporary hit thing. It's been around for thousands of years. Jesus told us, be kind to one another. In the, in the, in the Bible, many times you'll see, speaking of God, your loving kindness knows no end. We're to be kind to others. Love does not envy. If we're envious we're not practicing love. When somebody else has something, rather than be envious, just congratulate them. The, one of the cures in order to combat envy is to congratulate somebody who has something that you could potentially be envious of. Love does not parade itself. Love does not boast. You know, as a younger man, I, I used to pl- like to play basketball, I like to play sports a lot, and I was highly competitive. And I would watch, you know, NFL, NBA, some of those uh, different things on the TV, and you know, you watch them, and they go and they score a basket, and then they're like, yeah! <laughs> and so we see that, and then we go out, and we're playing on the court, and we have an awesome play, playing with 12-year-olds, wham! Yeah! And I begin, and I'm realizing, and then I read this, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, I, you shouldn't be slamming on 12-year-olds anyways, but no, I'm just kidding. I was playing 18-year-olds. I was 30. They actually were in better, better physical condition than I was. I still had no right to boast. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Love is not puffed up. Doesn't think more highly of itself than it should. We shouldn't be puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. I've taken this so far to the point that I don't like to watch shows where people are behaving rudely towards one another. So I don't watch television. (laughs) (laughs) Find a TV show. I challenge you. I mean, when I was a kid, there weren't any out there. 
<sighs> love does not seek its own. Love is not selfish, NIV says. This can be a hard one. You know, we have to die to self. Luke, it says, Jesus said in, in Luke, take up your cross, come after me, and die daily. We have to die to our selfish ambitions. We have to die to our selfish desires. We have to die to the fact that we have a natural inclination to put ourselves first every single day. Every single day. Multiple times a day. It's not enough for one time a day because it has this way of coming back up throughout the day. Something new comes in, we have the ability to just go right back and be selfish again. What does God want? What does God want in this situation? How can I serve God through this situation? God, I'm not liking this. Love is not provoked. This is getting harder. How many of you know people who go out and speak words simply to provoke you? If you've ever worked in retail for a minute, you're right. <laughs> you think, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but you think these people come in and they have questions just to make you mad. <laughs> they do. <laughs> there are people, there are people, and some, there are people that I'm sure you know some, they like to provoke people. They get around the family meeting and, and the, their whole goal is to make people upset. You're like, man. You all know somebody like this in your life. Love is not provoked. And if you dwell with God and you rely on God, God will give you words to end their provoking, I promise. Yeah. 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 Love thinks no evil. I think we're bordering on the impossible here. How many of us can go through a day without thinking an evil thought? It doesn't even say do anything. Just don't think it. Don't think evil. Somebody does something wrong or you see somebody doing something wrong or the news pops up with something going on and you're like, I have, to battle <laughs> I have to battle this. Guys, I'm 30 years saved. I love Jesus. I walk with him morning, noon, and night. I worship him morning, noon, and night. I, I pray. I couldn't tell you how much. I, I read my word. I have more of the word memorized than I even I, I can figure out at this point. I have trouble not thinking evil thoughts. We all do, but we can work on it. We can get better, and we should. God's here to help us. I think a lot less evil thoughts than I used to. I think a lot less evil thoughts than I did last year. I'm getting better. And it's only by the grace of God that we'll ever get to the point where love works perfectly in us and we no longer think evil thoughts. We'll be talking about different things with different people. And, you know, somebody will throw something out and I'll throw out, the op I'll, I'll throw out a more loving suggestion. And then somebody will say, man, I really don't love, do I? Or I... I how am I, why do I think evil like that all the time? And I'm like, no, you're, you're still learning. We're all still learning. Don't beat yourself up. Just push into the truth. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. How many times do we watch a movie and the bad guy gets what he deserves? And we're like, yeah! We rejoice in murder. We rejoice in, should we? 
Should we? Is it? I, I think that this was really perfected. Very, I think that this was brought to um, near perfection if we were to watch uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> I'll, I'll share you this story. Uh, at the end of the, there's this new character, uh, Vision, right? And Vision doesn't want to kill Ultron. Ultron's the bad guy. Ultron wants to dominate the world. He wants to kill off humanity, right? And so Vision comes and he's like, at the very, very end of the movie, after the big battle, it's Vision and this one robot of Ultron. He's a machine, right? He's trying to kill all humanity. And Vision says to Ultron, I don't want to kill you. But I see and I understand that you won't stop what, doing what you're trying to do. And so then Ultron tries to reaches out to kill Vision, which is not going to happen, and Vision kills Ultron, right? But he didn't want to do it. He did it, but he didn't want to do it. And so if you watch the scene in its entirety, you're left with this, this feeling of it had to happen, but I'm not happy that it happened. It's actually brought, I think it's brought perfectly. Watch the clip. You could probably just Google the clip. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Do we rejoice in the truth? Do we identify truth? There, is, there are powers at work in the world today that seek to twist and manipulate and remove truth from society. The postmodern movement says, whatever's true for you is your truth. Hogwash. Hogwash. Baloney. Truth is truth no matter who it is. Truth applies to everyone or else it's not truth. We can have opinions. We can have um, different things that have happened to us in our life. It does not change truth. Truth never changes. It never changes. Truth comes from God. Truth is an extension of who God is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. You know, there's a lot of times when throughout our lives that we're going to come into periods of times where we have to put forth a lot of effort. My wife and I had four kids within three and a half years. We had to put forth a lot of effort to raise our kids. How many of you, we, 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 she more than I, didn't sleep how many nights? It got to the point where my wife started to hoard sleep. She was like very protective over sleep up until the time when the kids were like, I'm not kidding, guys, this is real. Up until the time that the kids were like 18 or 20 years old because of the amount of sleep deprivation that she went through when they were four to one to five years old. This is reality because what? Because she loved them and she bared through the point of sleepless nights out of love. We bear a lot. There's times where we have to bear more. There's times where we're going to bear less. But love bears all things. We bear, we bear things. We, we hold up that heavy weight for those that we love. This is what love does. Love believes all things. The best, 
the best example that I can give of this is um, when my daughter said she wanted a baby blue convertible punch bug for her first car. And family member said, that'll never happen. That's not love. You're not believing with her. She got that baby blue convertible punch bug for her very first car. And that person, that family member later redeemed themselves. But love believes. You know what? You want that car? I believe that God will get you that car. I don't know. Maybe it won't be a new one. Maybe it'll be a used one. But God will make a way. Love believes all things. What is it that, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, ridiculous stuff. Can we put our faith together with another? Listen, I don't have to have faith for what you're believing God for, for me to believe that it can happen for you. You may have a belief that something ridiculous is going to happen. And I can say, I'm going to join my faith with yours. I don't personally have faith for that, but what little faith I do have for that, I'm going to join it to your faith. And we're going to believe God together for it. I mean, we still want to use reasoning and things like that. We can't, I mean, we, we believe in the impossible because we serve an impossible God. We should believe in all things. Love hopes all things. Hope should be the overriding factor of our life. Love endures all things. Love endures. Love never fails. And so if we go on to verse 8 here, it says, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that is, which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. If we do something from a heart of love, with the attitude to love others, we will never fail, even if we do not succeed. If we do something, I'm going to say that again, if we do something from a heart of love, if we set ourselves to do something from a heart of love, we will, we will never fail, even if what we endeavor to do does not succeed. Let's say my daughter has a flat tire. And I'm like, out of love, I'm going to run out there and I'm going to change the tire for her on the side of the road. And I get there and I can't get it done. Right? The lug nuts are all stripped. This happened to me on, on the side of the interstate. The lug nuts are all stripped. And you can't get the tire off. And you got to call a tow truck. My effort did not succeed. But the love that I showed didn't fail. My daughter still knows that I love her. I came out. I was there. I was with her. Maybe I, I didn't get that tire changed. I did not succeed in changing the tire. But the love that I showed accomplished the love that I wanted to show. Love never failed. Love didn't fail me there. Love never fails. When we move in love, we will never fail. All of our plans may not succeed, but we will never fail. How many of you would like to never fail? Come on, just start loving. Just be more loving. It's the secret, honest. 
I mean, you may not succeed in everything, but you will never fail. Where there are tongues, where there are prophecies, they'll fail. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it'll vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Knowledge will vanish away. Knowledge will pass away. Years ago, I was watching this television show. Uh, it was a documentary, and it was on the physics behind roller coasters. Fantastic, right? Because we... My wife and I, we like to go on roller coasters. At least, you know, we did back a few years back, last time we were on. And I'm watching this documentary on roller coasters. And so every time there's a roller coaster maneuver, whether it's the loop-de-loop or the corkscrew or, you know, whatever it is, you know, all of these things that roller coasters do, they have a physics equation so that they know whether or not the roller coaster will stay on the tracks, rip the track apart, it, it's all physics. And the man was in a room that was about this size, and it was floor-to-ceiling chalkboards on the wall, and he had equations written with numbers that were about this big on the, the entire room all the way around, full of equations of the physics that happen when you are you know, trying to design and engineer a roller coaster. And I'm watching this show, and I'm watching, this was this man's life work, and he took all of those equations, and he put it into a computer, and he was able to take and glue and put parts together, the loop-de-loop -loop and the roll corkscrew and this and that, and he's putting it all together to see if what he wants to do will work, right? Crazy, whatever. He's putting them all together, and then he puts it into the computer, and it generates the model, and it's, right? And I'm watching this, and as I'm watching this, this scripture pops into my mind. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. And the Bible also says that the earth, this earth will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm thinking that as I'm watching this, I'm like, all of this knowledge that this man has, has the potential to no longer exist because the physics that we know in this world may very likely and most probably will not be relevant in the world to come. All of this knowledge is passing away. But the word of God endures forever. Love will endure forever. Love never ends. Love goes on and on and on and on. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When we learn to love well, when we have finally been perfected in love, what we do in part will no longer exist, will be perfect. We'll, we'll see things perfectly. We will, love, we will love without fail and we will love without hindrance. Paul goes on, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. NIV says, fully known. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We're called to have childlike faith, not childish faith. 
Paul says, I put childish things away. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Soon we will see face to face. I will be fully known. I will know fully, even as I am fully known. God knows every little thing about you, even the dark, deep, hidden things that you try to hide from yourself. God knows those things. He knows you intimately. He knows every single hidden part of you. And we have to deal with some of those deep, hidden things in order to come to a place where we're ready to love others well. Because if we don't deal with those things that are deep on the inside of us, hidden in the recesses of our heart, the hidden corners of our heart, if we don't deal with those things, then it hurts us and injures us and doesn't allow us to love others. It causes apprehension and holding back and refusing to love when we're called to. And now abide. One of my favorite um, songs, before I go on, one of my favorite songs is uh, You Know Me. It's by Stephanie Gretzinger. And it's basically singing Psalm 139, the fact that God knows you. In Psalm 139, David says, if I were to make my bed in hell and dwell in the other, utter darkness, even there your hand will guide me. God knows us even in that place. There is nothing of our life that is, not, that is hidden from God. He knows it all. You saw my form. You saw my being yet unformed. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, you knew me. Before I was ever born, there were books written about my life in heaven, Psalm 139. It's been pretty boring up to now, but it heats up in the next chapter. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Listen, faith is pretty great. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith, faith, come on, it all comes down to faith. Mountain-moving faith. When we move, we move by faith. We have to have faith in order to walk the walk that we walk with God. It's part of our walk. We have to be there. We have to have faith. It's vital. It's like the air we breathe. But even greater than that is love. We can't discount faith. We can't take it and throw it away because it's not the greatest. These build on one another. Faith, hope, and love. Be perfected in love. We'll only ever be perfected in love. It's love that brings us per to perfection. It's the love of God that perfects you, not your own efforts. 1 John 4, 17 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, as God is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We can have confidence in our eternity. We can have the surety of salvation on the day of judgment when Jesus comes and we sit the white throne judgment. We can have confidence in that day because of the love that God has worked in us and the love that we have and show 
for others. Glory to God. One of the reasons why many of us don't love well is because we fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of many different things. The most common command in the Bible is do not fear. It's given over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God knew our humanity. He knew our state. He knew what we were going to do when we met challenges and resistance that we would fear. So he told us, do not fear. And when love comes... There is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear. This is not like love comes and fear is like, oh, okay, bye now. Love comes and it casts it out. It throws it out on its head, tosses it out. Love casts out fear. It comes and it drives it out. When love comes and it's perfected in us, when, we've, when we allow the love of God to come into our heart and to rearrange the things that are out of order, when we allow the love of God to come and to bring healing where we need healing, the fear that we have that of public speaking will be thrown out. The fear that we have of elevators will be thrown out. The fear that we have that someone's going to hurt us or injure us in some way, those fears will be thrown aside. It just won't matter anymore. What can you do to me? God loves me. I I mean, I care for all of you and I want you all to love me, but if you don't, God loves me. God loves me. I said this last week, the most important thing that I can tell you about me as a human being and an individual is that God loves me. We see this in the story of Lazarus. It says, Lazarus was sick, and Martha and Mary got together, and they scraped together a few dollars, and they paid to send a messenger to Jesus, because Jesus was a little bit away. And so they paid this messenger to run this note. Here's this note. Take this message to Jesus. Today we send text messages. Cost us, I mean, it's paid for because we have the plan. It was worse than um, Pony Express. It was slower than that. They used to run them. There was runners. They paid to have this message sent. You paid for every dollar. You paid for every word. You paid for every letter. So what was the most important thing that Martha and Mary can tell Jesus? They wrote the letter to Jesus, and they, say, they said this. They said, he whom you love is sick. End of message. He knew who it came from. Jesus immediately knew who they were talking about. He actually knew before the message came. (laughs) Then he said, the disciples say, uh, oh, we should go. And Jesus says, no, no, this sickness isn't leading to death, but to the glory of God, right? And then they hang out there for a couple more days. And then Jesus finally says, hey, come on, we're all going to go up and we're going to, uh, we're going to go see Lazarus. For he sleeps. The disciples say, well, if he sleeps, won't he get better? And Jesus says, no, he's dead. The sleep that I'm talking about is death. Death. He's dead. And when we get there, he'll have been dead for four days. Jesus loved Lazarus. 
Jesus had already prophesied to his disciples that this sickness wasn't leading to death, but to the glory of God. He knew that he was going to go there and that he, Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew what was going to go on. He knew the whole story before anything was walked out. But the most important thing that Martha and Mary could say about their brother was, Jesus, you love him. The most important thing that I can tell you about me is that Jesus loves me. When I grab a hold of this reality, when I grab a hold of the fact that the God who created the stars and set them in the heavens, who created the earth, who created the seas and told the ocean that it can only come this far, when that God, when I have a realization that that God loves me, it changes the way I live. Suddenly, listen, guys, I love you. I love y'all. I don't care. I mean, I care. I don't care what you think about me because I know what he thinks about me. Changes the way I live. I have to, I watch this, I have to be obedient to do what he says, not what you want me to do. <laughs> yeah. You have to have this revelation. You have to have this realization if you're going to pastor people because a lot of times God's going to tell me to get up here and talk to you about things that are really uncomfortable. How many of you remember the, the, the series Vice City, right? Hey, there's sin in the camp. You guys are sinners. That's not a popular message. Why, how do I have the confidence to bring that? Because I know God loves me. God loves you too. Have you made it real? And do you flow and do you live from a place of understanding that God loves you? When you do, the cares of what others think, the fear of man falls away. I belabor this point because I know that there's many that struggle with the fear of man, what people think. How do we become perfected in love? By allowing God's love to come and to do what it wants to do. God wants to bring healing. God wants to bring transformation. God wants to remove things that are in our lives and in our hearts that don't belong there. Only God can do that. There's much of this that only God can do. Only God. Song of Solomon says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames of, are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man were gift for love all of the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Love is the strongest force in the universe. Love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than death. Love overcomes the grave. Love overcomes. If love were a fire, nothing could put it out. Nothing could put it out. Nothing could end love. Nothing will end love. When you love, nothing ends love. You can't buy love. If a man were to give all of the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. God loves you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. What does love look like? Love looks like Jesus going to the cross and giving his life for us. Love is what Jesus did. 
we could ask God, how much do you love me? And God stretched out his arms. He said, I love you this much. And he took his place on the cross. And he died for your sins and for mine so that we could be forgiven, so that we could spend eternity in heaven with God and that we could have a right relationship with him while we walk here on the earth. The nails didn't hold Jesus to the cross. Not at all. It was his love that kept him there. It wasn't the nails. Jesus said when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, I could call on my father right now and he'd send 12 legion of angels. It's 36,000 angels. All of humanity would be wiped out. All I have to do is say one word and my father will send those angels. That didn't end when he left the garden. That continued until he died. He's on the cross. His hands are nailed in there. He could have spoken a word at once. God would have moved. Those nails would have popped out. Angels would have came down. Humanity would have been slayed. And we would have a much different story. But his love kept him there. Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He stayed on that cross. Jesus chose the cross so that we could have relationship with him, so that our sins could be forgiven. He stayed there because of love. If you're here today and you've never experienced the love of God like that, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would experience the love of God. I want to pray that you would come to a saving knowledge of the love of God. If that's you here today, I want to just ask you to pray this prayer with me. If you're watching online, please pray with me as well. Say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask that you would come and forgive me of my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And God, I believe that Jesus, that you rose on the third day, Come into my heart and help me to live for you all of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.